We're going to be talking about uh, listening this morning. We're in the middle of a series called Conversations, and Conversations is basically a template that we're using to talk about prayer, uh, this funky, mystical, weird thing that we do as Christians that we never really talk about. So what we want to do is kind of get to the bottom of what that is. Like, what is prayer? What am I doing? Am I closing my eyes? Do I need to fold my hands? Do I need fancy language? Do I need all this different stuff? And the answer is no. You simply need to be present with God. Prayer is a conversation in which the only thing you need to do is to be present with God. And that can be in so many different ways. And so this morning, we're going to talk about listening, uh, because prayer is as much listening as it is talking. But I'm going to talk about listening in kind of a funky way. I'm going to talk about listening as a way to find out our own unique voice. Uh, A lot of my conversations, lately and just in general as a pastor, are always centered around, like, I've prayed this prayer for so long, and I've felt no answer, no reply. Or I've prayed this and and it was a no. Or how, this is the best one, how do I possibly know when it's God talking? And the answer to that is, like, we we don't. Um, And and we're going to get into that and it's going to be great. Uh, But I think the really unique thing about when we come to God in prayer and we're just listening, when we just kind of learn to shut up and, and just sit there, Uh, we're going to actually learn to discern not only God's voice, but our voice as well. Uh, The the unique voice that you have in the world comes out the more you get to know God and the more God works in you. So we're going to talk about all of that. We're going to do that uh, using headphones and a globe, uh, which is what Bobby's going to be painting. Uh, We're going to talk about a a Hebrew word called Shema. Uh, We're going to talk about a saint that doesn't exist. And we're going to talk about a blind man. So all those things are going to lead us into listening. But let me pray for us as we get started this morning. God, uh, I'm so grateful to be here. I'm so grateful for this uh, community. I'm grateful that you uh, have blessed us in bringing so many amazing people together. Um, And I I pray for our time this morning. As we talk about listening, as we talk about paying attention, I I pray that we could do just that. We'd lean into this idea that, that you are at work everywhere if we only choose to see. Amen. Uh, So, we live in a world filled with attention grabbers. And by that I mean like everything around us is trying to scream at us to get our attention. You notice if you drive down the street, there's billboards, especially in Los Angeles. Los Angeles is just a look at me, look at me, look at me kind of a city. Everywhere you go, there's something trying to grab your attention and it actually makes us tired. There's a real thing called decision fatigue. And decision fatigue has to do with all those little micro decisions that you make during the day. At the end of the day, your brain has literally been burning calories, making all of those tiny little choices. And so there's a reason that when you come home from work, you're kind of like, I just need to sit for a minute. Like your brain just needs some time to rework because all day you've been making conscious, tiny little decisions that are actually using up your energy. Uh, And that, that includes everything you choose to listen to or not listen to, to pay attention to or not to pay attention to. The brain actually burns the same amount of calories to divert its attention away as it does to give attention to. So no matter what you do, you're going to be tired. So everything in life is kind of trying to get your attention and grab at you. And if you have ADD like I do, and I have like diagnosed severe ADD. When I was a kid uh, and they ran the tests, the guy, the psychologist who was doing it, took my mom aside and she's like, are you sure my son has ADD? Like, I don't, I, I, my mom didn't really buy into all that stuff. And the psychologist literally went, no ma'am, 
this is the clearest cut example of ADD that I've ever seen in my career. <laughs> and then she had to go like, oh, okay. Um, but basically that means my attention for my entire life has been like everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Even now, I'm looking at you and, and things, are, things are going off in my mind. Like I, it, it's, it's a constant sort of like, like just attention grabbing and attention deficit that I live in in just a sort of a routine thing. So this, this affects me in life, it affects me and my wife, like if we'll go out to dinner, I cannot, and if I see a table, like this is the classic, sort of restaurant scenario, you go in and they're gonna seat you and you go to the host and they take you over and there's just like all of these amazing empty tables off to the side over there and they take you and they put you right next to someone right here with about this much space between you. And I will literally sit down and I'll tell Chelsea, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm gone, I'm clocking out for the entire evening, I'm gonna be listening to everything they have to say. <laughs> I'm not gonna hear anything that you're gonna have to say. But that, that's the truth, we, we, there's always something trying to grab our attention. Did you know that, and, and this is for creative work, so, and, but uh, honestly anything that we do is creative. So whatever job you have, you can choose to view that creatively. Uh, but there's this, there's this sort of uh, like idea in creative work uh, that when you're, when you're kind of in the trenches of doing something creative or creating something, did you know that a, a single phone call can derail the mind for 25 minutes after that phone call happens? You have 25 minutes to get back into that creative flow, even if it's just that it rings. So, stop calling me. No, I, but, but what that means is, even if the phone rings, we need a 25 minute reset. That's how our brains work. And I think so often in life, we don't take the proper time to reset, or the proper time to actually listen, especially when it comes to prayer. Can you imagine any other conversation in which you come to the conversation, you just, you just talk, and then you walk away. Because if we're being honest, and a lot of times, like, that's what prayer is. Even on a Sunday morning, when I pray, I'm praying, and then we're stopping, and we're moving on, right? We're not creating creative space to actually listen to what God has to say. Sometimes prayer is best when we just literally come into God's presence and do not say a word. It's uncomfortable, it hurts, but that's the, that's the space where we can actually listen. That's the space where we can actually pay attention. Did you guys see the lightning on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, wherever that was? There was, there was a huge lightning storm uh, and friends of ours were having dinner and we, we were walking outside and we saw, I saw a, like a single bolt of lightning and it was the craziest bolt of lightning that I've ever seen in Los Angeles. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's insane. Um, and I thought, oh wow, one stroke of lightning. Did you know? In that five minute period that that lightning storm has happened, lightning struck over 1,500 times. 1,500 times, and I only saw one of them. And I think that's such a metaphor for our lives. There is an entire storm happening. And in fact, they didn't even call it a storm, it was called an atmospheric river. <laughs> How cool is that, an atmospheric river? That was going on and my dummy self looks up and says, one bolt of lightning. There's an atmospheric <laughs> river happening, and I'm like, oh, lightning, better get indoors. No, there's a river that's coming, right? There's so much more if we only choose to pay attention. One of my favorite sayings is don't just do something, but stand there. Don't just do something, stand there. We need to create real opportunities and times to sit with something, to look, and to pay attention, to pay attention because God can speak in so many ways. 
an audible voice from God uh, is called, in Hebrew, it's called a bat call, which is kind of like a bat call, which I kind of think of like the bat signal when that happens, but it's a bat call. And what the ancient rabbis would say is that is the lowest point of communication. They say when God speaks audibly, that is the lowest form of communication. And yet that's what we're all kind of after. I want to hear that audible, I want to take that away. I want to have a clearly translated audible voice tell me exactly what to do. And what the ancient rabbis would say is, that's not ever going to really help you. <laughs> the, the rabbis, the, for them, a greater form of God speaking was through prophecy, was through story, was through symbols. And we see this in Jesus over and over and over again. He hardly ever answers questions. He always just kind of gives you another story or another question to ruminate on. So if we're looking at Jesus and we believe what we believe, and we believe that this is the incarnate Son of God, this is Jesus the Christ, then we have to look at how he speaks to people in the Gospels. That's a perfect example of how he's going to speak to us. It's not always going to be clear. There are going to be stories. There are going to be events that are going to happen. There are going to be things that we have to unpack. And that's how we learn to discern God's voice. God's voice is described in the scripture all the way from a still small voice to the shout of a nation, to thunder, to lightning. There are so many different ways that God speaks. And I think that's because there are so many different ways that we listen. There are so many different types of people so people get lit up in totally different ways. For some people, it may be that audible voice thing. For other people, it may be in a picture. For other people, it may be in a landscape. Whatever it might be, it's leaning in to what fires you up the most. So when people ask me, how do I hear God's voice and how do I make sure that it's God? I just go, well, what fires you up the most? Where do you encounter God in the greatest way? And some people, we, we feel a little bit guilty about that. We'll say like, well, I, I encounter God like in nature or going on hikes or something, but that feels self-serving. It's like, no, 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 no. Lean into that. Go on more hikes. <laughs> Lean into whatever lights you up, and that is where you're going to find God. And more importantly, that's where God is going to find you. Because really, all this is not just inviting God into the room. We can't do There's that um, song. We sing it here sometimes. Sorry, I mean, it drives me crazy. It's that uh, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. The Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Um, it's, it's, it, I, there's something about it because it's, it's sort of like we're, we're arrogant enough to say like, oh God, you can come on in now. It, it's, that's not, like he's already here. Like it's not, uh, anyway, that was a total tangent, not even in the notes. Um, I've totally derailed myself. Uh, basically, the way we can, we can hear God is the way that we hear things. So the way you learn, the way you, you interact in your jobs and your careers, the stuff that makes you the most excited, there's no reason you can't use that to find God and find God in a greater way. The stuff that you make you are passionate about that really gets you going, that's often where God is going to speak to you the most, and there's no reason that you need to try and learn these other skills, like listening to God in an audible way or listening to God there. You have a gift if you can find God in whatever aspect that you're going in. And so you need to lean into it. For Moses, I don't know, but God audibly talks to Moses, but he does it in such a unique way. He does it with this, this bush that's lit on fire, but it's not being consumed. And I often think if God's going to find us what, in what lights us up the most, I wonder if like, like 
Moses was a pyrotechnic maniac or whatever, but you, maybe he really liked fire, maybe he really liked bushes, I don't know. But what, for whatever reason, the miracle in that story is not that there's a bush that's on fire and doesn't blow up. The miracle is that a man with a full-time job and a flock of sheep takes enough time to walk over and to pay attention. The miracle is that on his morning commute, he pulled the car over to literally see what was going on, to spend time, to actually listen. And we have that verse. It's in Exodus 3. Um, this is Moses in the burning bush. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, what's interesting here is that Horeb, the mountain of God, is actually, when a lot of scholars say, that Horeb and Sinai are actually the same mountain. So Sinai, if you've been in church for long, if you haven't, it's fine. Sinai is the mountain that basically, like, we get the Ten Commandments. So, like, Sinai is where God speaks in the Hebrew, especially in the ancient Hebrew tradition in the Pentateuch and the first five books of the Bible. Sinai, this mountain is where God speaks. And so Moses is in a kind of a, a, a crappy point of life right now. Um, it, it, there's no accident that it says he's tending Jethro, his father-in-law. And if I had a father-in-law named Jethro, not a great time. Uh, Jethro's flock. So he doesn't have a flock of his own. And we have to really pay attention to the moment in Moses' life here. Because for a lot of us, for God to speak or for us to hear God, we truly believe that we need to have everything figured out. God won't speak to me unless I'm perfectly clean, unless I'm doing this, unless I'm going to church, unless I'm, I'm, I'm praying daily, all that. God's not going to speak to me if I'm in a weird spot. And it's absolutely not the case. I'm here to tell you that almost every person that Jesus talks to in the gospel is in a weird spot. <laughs> every time. These are people that do not have it all figured out. These are people that aren't, their lives aren't perfectly together. And in every instance, that's the people that God is talking to. And Moses, in this instance, it's not just that he's fallen on hard times and is watching his father-in-law's flock. He's actually on the run from murder at the same time. He's killed someone earlier on in this story. And so he's gone out in this wilderness and he's had to build this whole new life. Moses was, was in a, like a priestly section of life. He, was, he, had, he had it all, really. He was in like the Pharaoh's court. The guy had money, fame, prestige, all this kind of stuff. And he gave it all up because he lost his temper and he killed someone. Relatable, right? No, it, it's, it's, he, he lost it and he lost it all. And now he's in a phase of life that's really messy. He's in this messy middle period. And he's tending his father-in-law, which is a very important detail because that means he doesn't have a flock of his own, which essentially points out, if you're reading this in an ancient context, it points out that Moses does not have a life of his own. Right. And so he, he's walking, and he's, he's, this is the moment that he's in. And it says, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush doesn't burn up. Next slide there, please. Uh, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Now, look at that. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, that's when the audible voice happens. When Moses is brave enough to truly encounter what's going on and God sees that Moses is trying to interact, that's when he calls out to him. He says, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. 
Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at him. Is there a next slide there, David? Or is that where we end? That's where we end. Okay. Um, so basically, what, what do we have going on here? We have a moment in which God audibly speaks, and Moses is paying attention, and he's scared. <laughs> he's scared to death. And what does, God's response is, Moses, take off your shoes. Take off your sandals, because this, this ground is holy ground. What it means is that there's a physical shift as much as there is a mental shift in what Moses is doing here. When he encounters God, he has to take off his shoes because he's encountering a holy space. And I think as we encounter holy things in our lives, the choice is there. The choice is we can walk by that miracle and just brush on past it, or we can choose to engage with it and take our shoes off, to take our sandals off and to claim that this, this right here is a holy moment. Every moment can be a holy moment. All it takes is for us to align our perspective with, wow, God is in this place, and I, I did not know. A classic line from Jacob that I probably say once a week here, <laughs> that I, I did not know. There are so many holy interactions that could be taking place that oftentimes in our busyness and our craziness, we are simply walking by them. That's not a great way to live. What a better way to live if we can actually live this way that Jesus was talking about where he's like, the kingdom of God is at hand, which means like basically it's right here. All we have to do is reach out and grab it. All we have to do is take our shoes off, take our sandals off, and encounter the holy moments in life. Every moment can be that holy moment. And then it goes on, and, and, uh, and Moses has this interaction with God, uh, and basically he has this tension, and God explains who he is, and he explains what he wants him to do. Uh, and basically, so this is Moses with his father-in-law named Jethro, and he's standing there, and he's like, you want me to free an entire nation from slavery? Do you know, this isn't even my flock of sheep right here. Uh, so he's going through this kind of like big, big moment with God, sort of this, who am I, right? Who am I to do this? And so this is where we pick up in the scripture. It says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go? Uh, to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that is, it is who has sent you. Uh, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. I really love the fact that the question is, who am I? And God doesn't stop to say, like, well, Moses, you are an incredible human who's watching his father-in-law. Like, there's nothing like that. He simply says... I'll, I'm with you. I'll be with you. That's all that matters. That's what defines you now. It's not your lot in life. It's not your career. It's not your prestige. It's not the fact that you did something so horrible that you had to run from a life. No. It's that I'm with you. I'm with you. That's your voice. See, when we're discerning the voice of God, I think there's a lot of that tension if we just have to pause and listen, and I do this, I try every morning, uh, well, first of all, every morning I leave my phone at home and I go walk to get coffee down the street at a coffee bean. It's like two blocks from our place. And I just leave the phone there and I walk and I use that time to just quietly pray. Um, 
and then I'll come back and then I'll interact with my phone. Because if you start your day with your phone or Instagram or something like that, it's just instant noise. So I try and like stop that. And then I do the most painful exercise of the day, which is for 10 minutes, I just set a timer and I just try and sit still and listen. And it's the longest 10 minutes of the day. <laughs> and here's why. When we get quiet, all of that uncomfortable stuff that we're able to shove down because of noise, able to shove away because of all the distraction, that's the stuff that starts coming up. <laughs> that's the stuff that just starts coming up. But the practice in listening is to just sort of greet that thought, that, that crazy stress, and just say like, hi, how you doing? Moving on, right? I see you, and now I'm moving on. It's so painful to just sit quietly and listen. Let's rant on millennials for a second, shall we? I am one, so I can do this. Um, <laughs> did you know headphones uh, spiked in 2012? The headphones just in general, like the sales of headphones went up 32% in 2012 alone. Uh, millennials, each millennial in here, the average millennial owns three pairs of headphones. 73% um, of millennials have admitted to putting in headphones to disengage with awkward situations. <laughs> Are you with me? That's when you see someone coming and you put the headphones in because, ooh, all of a sudden I am completely blocked. There's nothing else here. Did you know that if you're a millennial, thank God for AirPods now, but, uh, but in the old days where you had the wire on the headphone, did you know that if we continued in that pattern, someone added up all the time, they added the seconds, they figured it's about four seconds a day, and if you add that up over a lifetime, millennials will have spent three and a half days unfolding headphones. <laughs> it's a dark, bleak thing. When you're sitting on your deathbed and you're like, I could have had three more days. But basically, like, we're obsessed with these headphones. Headphones give us control. You know, towards the end, I used to write songs uh, for a portion of my living, uh, and, and towards the end of that, we used to mix on these big, glorious speakers. So you would mix in like the, the biggest like hi-fi, heavy bass, like most accurate that you could in terms of like, like listening to music, and it would sound glorious to these huge speakers. Uh, now, that's completely irrelevant, and people have started mixing on AirPods because that's 90% of the way that we actually interact with music now. We're hardly listening to music if it's not outside of our own heads. Music, this communal act, this used to be something that we all gather around and we would listen to the same thing. Now, as you're walking down the street, you just see headphones. And people are completely plugged in to exactly the voice or the song or whatever it is uh, that they want to hear. There's no more universal soundtrack. It's just simply what you want to hear mixed exactly for you. And so we spend, we, the average person spends over four hours a day with headphones in. Isn't that insane? Four hours a day with headphones in. We've learned to internalize our entire world and we can curate it the best of our ability. I have a theory that's not proven at all, it's just sort of a wacky armchair expert thing, but I think the reason that, that headphones are so vital right now is because it gives us an immense amount of control sort of a false sense of control, but we can control everything that we want to hear. And as a result, and I'm guilty of this, my AirPods are in my pocket right now and I'm preaching. I shouldn't have, like they're, they're here, but I'm guilty of this too, but we're missing so much because we're trying to curate our little world and only the voices that we wanna hear, we're hearing. This happens in news cycles, it happens in everything else. It's the voices that we wanna hear and the other ones are completely wrong. There's no more wiggle room for a voice to break through. 
And that's why this period of listening, just this 10 minutes a day where I just sit there, is one of the most gratifying and toughest things in my day, but it matters because after that, I have made space in my day for not my voice and not the voices that I'm curating, but a voice to come through. And oftentimes, I have, I have heard the audible voice of God maybe once in my life, and I'm not really sure. It could have been a weird piece of cheese I ate. But I don't, I don't think that what, what it is is it's this constant, it, it's something that's pulling you in a direction that's more beautiful. It's this, this feeling inside of you that something is guiding you and pulling you towards something more beautiful. And oftentimes when I pay attention to that voice, and I follow that beauty, I end up finding my own voice, and I end up finding what God wants to do with that voice. We all have a voice. Just like discerning God's voice, you too have a voice. And so when you come in silence to God, God's accepting you right as you are. That's your voice. God knows your voice, and he wants you to use it. Your voice is what God created for. Your voice is what makes you you. Everybody has a unique voice. Some are more, you know, soothing than others. But uh, everybody has a unique voice. It is your signature. And God made that voice. And here's the thing. We spend so much time trying to mimic the voices of other people because we believe that they're more successful or they're more palatable or whatever it is. But Oscar Wilde has this amazing quote. Do we have that, David? I might be skipping around, but I think the Oscar Wilde quote is up next. It's a picture. There you go. Uh, most people are other people. Their thoughts are someone else's opinions, their lives and mimicry, and their passions a quotation. <laughs> Yikes, right? But we believe that. Like, I, we all mimic other people because it's a safer thing to do. But the truth is God made you absolutely unique, absolutely beautiful, and he wants more of you in the world. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> when people, most of my conversations center around what, how do I understand what God wants for me? What am I going to do with this crazy life I've been given? And my first thought is always like, well, I think the first step is that you should start enjoying it. <laughs> the first step to figuring out what to do with your life is to enjoy it, is to start just living it. Because it's a gift. It's all a gift. Life is a gift. Love is the point. So my friends, Ryan Meeks always says, life, life is a gift. Love is the point. And you've been given this unique voice, and if we lean into it, that's when you're truly going to attract other people. We love, as a culture, we are obsessed with a unique voice, with a voice that can own its own room, right? And what happens is some of these voices rise to the top, and then we feel like, oh, well, that's a dominant voice, so I need to align myself with that voice, and I need to sound and act exactly like that voice. But the truth is people are only going to start following you or interested in you or just loving you when you're more of who you are. When you're more of who you are. That's the whole point. That's what God is talking about. When he talks to Moses and he says, but who am I? God's literally saying, no, no, no. It's not about that, it's that I am with you. I am with you. And later on, he goes, I don't have the words, I'm not a good speaker, and he says, I will speak. You'll have the words. And then he goes and double down and gets him, his brother Aaron and says, like, he'll speak for you because I know you're not very good at this. But <laughs> your voice, Moses, even though he couldn't speak, he was using this man because he said, no, 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 Moses, I'm with you. 
and who you are matters because I am absolutely with you. But there are so many pitfalls. When we start using our own voice, it's very awkward and it's very vulnerable. Because if we're going to be all of ourselves, right, we're putting everything out there. And when we put everything out there, you're giving every single person the opportunity to trample on you, to reject you. So it's hard. We face dragons every single day. I call this the war of the day. And, and as an artist, um, Bobby, you can probably attest to this. Uh, somebody, I forget who did this quotation, but they said that the, the life of an artist uh, is to experience the breadth of human emotion every single day. <laughs> From like huge terror to absolute skyrocketing joy. But basically what I, what I call this is the war of the day. When you wake up, all of those dragons that you were able to slay the day before, we spend the whole day just fighting, 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 and at the end of the day, we, we conquered, hopefully, all of those fears and all that anxiety and all that stuff, or at least we've just shoved it down. But then the next morning we wake up and they're right back there again. Dragons, in, in the biblical sense, uh, are akin to like demons. They're, they're sort of like an image of a demon, right? And they're these things that literally latch onto us and drag us down. In, in literature, dragons, every time you see a dragon, it's guarding something of value. Something of value that the hero needs to get. That's what a dragon does. And a dragon can keep you from using your own voice. It can keep you in that safe little shire area where you don't have to worry about anything and you can keep going along with the status quo. But the hero's journey is the one that comes out, uses its voice, and slays that dragon. But we desperately want someone else to do that for us in our life. And the truth is, you're the hero in your journey and you're going to have to do that you're going to have to face those dragons. Uh, this is a picture of St. George. Do you have that picture there, David? Beautiful. Um, St. George is the patron saint of uh, the country, Georgia, not the state, uh, of England, of Portugal, of Brazil, of Russia, and Bulgaria. Uh, the funny thing is, St. George is not real. <laughs> so St. George is a saint, an actual saint, and there is no physical proof that he ever existed at all. Uh, in fact, most people now just believe that he is a legend, and rightfully so. St. George is best known for slaying a dragon. <laughs> that little black nothingness down there, that is a dragon. So, uh, story of St. George goes like this. There's a dragon uh, in a kingdom, and uh, it, it lives on the outskirts of town, and the king of this kingdom, to keep this dragon at bay, gives it a sheep a day. And then the dragon gets a little more greedy, and he says, no, I need two sheeps now. And so they, they start giving him two sheep a day. And then it gets to an outrageous number of sheep, and they're like, we're running out of sheep. And he goes, okay, fine, well, give me children. This is how medieval stories go. So th they start feeding the dragon children, and it gets to the last child in the kingdom, which happens to be the princess. And so the princess comes out and faces the dragon, and she screams, and she screams for St. George. Don't know how she knows George at this point. George comes out on, the, on this uh, horse and slays the dragon for her. But here's the thing. We, we, we're talking about St. George, not the princess, right? And there is no St. George. <laughs> so there is no one who's going to come in and slay our dragon for us. That is on us completely. And dragons are only as real as as much as we're feeding them. We're the ones responsible for keeping that dragon alive. And we do this so easily. How much time do you spend feeding your anxieties, your worries, and your fears? I know I do that all the time. 
I place most of my trust in worry because it seems way more real than hope a lot of the time. And so we spend hours of our day playing back the anxieties and the fears and all of that and giving them plenty of space in our hearts, but not giving them space for just pure listening. Because I guarantee you, if you just stop and you just listen, you're going to be able to let go a lot of that fear and you're going to be ready to get out and to slay that, that dragon. Excuse me. And I'll tell you what the biggest dragon in the whole world is, and especially, I mean, this is very true for me and it's very true for most of us in this room. It's I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I can't possibly be ready. That's not the story that we see in the scriptures. It's not the story we see of Moses. It's not the story of anyone, really. There's, they can claim I'm not ready, and then God throws them right into the mix. You are ready and beautifully made just the way you are. And God can use you in any single state if you only choose to listen to it. If you only choose to listen. It's that I'm with you thing all over again. And there's one person that I admire in the scriptures almost more than anyone else. It's a guy named Bartimaeus. And he's a man that's, that's born blind. And we're going to go through this scripture together. Um, this is our final scripture of the morning. And it says, and they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd. And they were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So we pause right here. Uh, this, when you see the crowd, when he's with a large crowd, you need to picture just a mob scene. These are hungry village people that are following Jesus, and the, the noise was probably just like a ruckus as they're coming down the street. And so here's a beggar. Beggars in that day were, were people that were placed in places because if you had any kind of ailment that made you ritually impure and so you couldn't participate in temple stuff, so you couldn't become clean, thus you couldn't work or you couldn't really be a part of society, so people would place you by the gate of a temple or a well or something of that nature, a public place where people could pass by and they would see you and they would take mercy on you and maybe they'd throw you a couple bucks. And so this man, Bartimaeus, is one of these individuals and he's blind and he's by at this, this gate, and he's sitting there, and he's gagging, and, and that's what defines him. But what's super interesting here is why, number one, when we read scripture, like, hunt for these fun clues. There's always, like, a fun clue underlying everything, especially in the Gospels. There's crazy amounts of detail packed into these tiny little things. So, one, why do we need his name? Because in most of these other stories, it's just a man born blind or a blind man. We never get a name. And here we get Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus. And then, even more than that, they give us his dad's name, which, why do we need his dad's name? This is the it's son of Timaeus. So I looked up what Timaeus means, and Timaeus is a Hebrew word, or an Aramaic word, sorry, uh, for value or worth. So Bartimaeus' name means son of value or son of worth. This is a man who's blind, but names in the Bible are a huge determining factor. This is a man that knows deep down he's a son of worth. He's a son of value. And so when he hears Jesus, his response is to shout. <laughs> because deep down, this is a man that knows that he's worth something, that he's valued. And so when he hears Jesus, his response is a shout. And the funniest part about this shout is he calls them 
son of David, which Jesus later rebukes Peter for calling him that and says, that's not who I am. <laughs> so we have a son of value who hears God and shouts and calls him the wrong name. This should free up all of our prayer lives. Like you can go <laughs> forth. He's shouting the wrong name. And so he shouts, and so the crowd sees this blind beggar, and he says, no, like, like try and rebuke him. And we go on here. The Bible says it better than I do. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more. He doubles down on the wrong name. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus, having been called the wrong name twice, stops. Stops. He stopped, and he said, call him. So they called the blind man, cheer up. On your feet, he's calling you. This is the nature of the crowd. At first, they're facing him, rebuking him, telling him, no, you shut up, you get down there, you get down there. And then Jesus stops and says, call him. And they're like, yeah, you were right all along. Come on, buddy. And he gets up and they're, they're like, cheer up, come on. He's called you. You've called him the wrong name twice, but he's calling you, go up. And so throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And the reason that that's important is because the cloak is the only thing this person would have owned. The cloak is everything he has of value. And what's super interesting about this story is just two stories before it in the same gospel, which we did last week, we heard the name of, a, or the story of a rich young ruler who Jesus said, give up all your possessions, sell them to the poor and come follow me. He couldn't do it. But this man who's called Jesus by the wrong name twice does just what Jesus had asked the rich man to do. He throws his cloak aside and he runs towards Jesus. And then this is the most fascinating part of all. Here's a blind man running, <laughs> blind man running, and Jesus' first question is, what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> like, it seems like it would be very obvious, right? But this is God giving this man dignity and saying, no, 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 I want to listen to you. I want to listen to what you have to say. What can I do for you? And he replies and he says, the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. The immense amount of dignity and preciousness that Jesus imparts on this human being is not just for this human being, it's for all of us. We are that man. You are each a son or daughter of value and worth. You are deeply, deeply loved. And you have a God that wants to listen to you. And you have a God that wants to listen to your voice. Let's pray together. God, I'm, I'm so thankful uh, for just the opportunity to listen. I pray that in the next week you would just uh, insert space in our lives or, or have us carve out spaces where we can truly listen. Because if we're better listeners, that's going to change the world.